early February of the year 1855 was a time of particularly heavy snow in the county of Devon, on the southwest peninsula of the United Kingdom. This was unusual in itself, as this part of the country is not known for having especially snowy winters. But it was not as unusual as what many people found when they woke up on the morning of the 9th of February of that year. Pressed into the freshly fallen snow was a line of hoof prints. Each one was about four inches long and about three inches across, mostly lying in single file and fairly evenly spaced. It is not strange, of course, to find a line of tracks such as this in soft snow. But it is more unusual when the reports state that the track ran for a distance of somewhere between 40 and 100 miles, and that obstructions such as walls, houses and rivers were crossed straight over the top, with the marks still being visible on the roofs and the like. There has never been a satisfactory explanation for this phenomenon, but of interest to us as folklorists, there is actually very little first-hand reportage of the event upon which we can draw. But that is not to say that there is nothing if you look hard enough. Because of its continually unexplained nature, this event has become generally known as the Great Devon Mystery, although it does sometimes go by another name. Because of the cloven nature of the hoof marks and the way that they seemed to traverse obstacles which could not be naturally passed over, this strange occurrence is known by some as the Devil's Footprints. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Welcome to the Folklore Podcast. Folklore. The beliefs, traditions and culture of the people. Passed on in the most part through the spoken word, folklore expresses our values, our shared ideas with others. It is both how we were and how we are. Without a record, our customs and traditions may become lost to us in the present, but under the surface, we still draw on them. We still know. It's time to recall our forgotten history and to record the new. This is the Folklore Podcast. The weather conditions in Devon at the start of 1855 were unusually harsh. The temperatures had not risen much above freezing for the whole of the first three months, leading to many of the rivers in the county, including the large watercourses, to freeze over. As nothing thawed for such a long period of time, each accumulation of snow had just added to what had already fallen. According to reports, 
The strange trail of footprints appeared overnight on Thursday the 8th of February and stretched across a large part of South and East Devon. Primary sources and eyewitness accounts are very rare, which we should mark as strange considering the sheer distance of the alleged tracks and the peculiar nature of the whole event. We can refer to a letter which was written to the Exeter and Plymouth Gazette shortly after the 8th of February, which summarises what was found quite well. It reads, Sir, Thursday night, the 8th of February, was marked by a heavy fall of snow, followed by rain and boisterous wind from the east, and in the morning, frost. The return of daylight revealed the ramblings of some most busy and mysterious animal, endowed with the power of ubiquity, as its footprints were to be seen in all sorts of unaccountable places, on the tops of houses, narrow walls, in gardens and courtyards, enclosed by high walls and palings, as well as in the open fields. The creature seems to have frolicked about through Exmouth, Littleham, Limpston, Woodbury, Topsham, Starcross, Tynmouth, etc., etc. There is hardly a garden in Limpston where his footprints are not observable, and in this parish he seems to have gambled about with inexpressible activity. Its tracks appear more like that of a biped than a quadruped, and the steps are generally eight inches in advance of each other, though in some cases twelve or fourteen, and are alternate, like the steps of a man, and would be included between two parallel lines six inches apart. The impression of the foot closely resembles that of a donkey's shoe, and measures from an inch and a half to, in some cases, two inches and a half across, here and there appearing as if the foot was cleft, but in the generality of its steps, the impression of the shoe was continuous and perfect. In the centre, the snow remains entire, merely showing the outer crust of the foot, which, therefore, must have been convex. The creature seems to have advanced to the doors of several houses, and then to have retraced its steps. But no one is able to explain the mystery. The poor are full of superstition, and consider it little short of a visit from old Satan or some of his imps. The author of this piece provides us with a lot of detailed information, particularly about the impressions left in the snow. Suspiciously, however, the author does not put their name to this letter, referring to themselves only as spectator. We have to wonder why this is. Were they involved in some way with leaving the footprints themselves? If that was the case, they would surely have had to be part of an organised group if the distances which are attributed to the trail in the records now are to be believed. Or, were they trying to create a talking point? They refer to the poor being full of superstition. But we have no evidence to say what social standing the author of the letter had. In a period of history full of Christian morality, why would they suggest that only the poor would consider this to be a visit from Satan? This letter was written at around the time that the footprints appeared, 
and suggests that the author had examined them closely. The only known documents from the time that directly relate to the case were not uncovered until the mid-20th century. These belonged to the Reverend H. T. Ellicombe, who was the vicar of the parish of Cliss St. George at the time. This was one of the places which was on the route taken by whatever left the marks. Within these papers was correspondence sent to the Reverend Ellicombe, the draft of a letter which was written to the Illustrated London News and marked that it was not for publication, and several documents which appeared to be tracings of the footsteps themselves. The Illustrated London News would go on to play a big part in what we now know about as the Great Devon Mystery, as the story would soon become national news. A letter once again published with no author's name, this time stating it was from a correspondent, gave some more information, although some of it seemed a little contradictory to the more local reports. The letter read, The marks which appeared on the snow and which were seen on the Friday morning, to all appearances, were the perfect impression of a donkey's hoof, the length four inches by two and three-quarter inches, but instead of progressing as that animal would have done, or indeed as any other would have done, feet right and left, it appeared that foot had followed foot, in a single line, the distance from each tread being eight inches, or rather more the footmarks in every parish being exactly the same size, and the steps the same length. This mysterious visitor generally only passed once down or across each garden or courtyard, and did so in nearly all the houses in many parts of several towns above mentioned, as also in the farms scattered about. This regular track, passing in some instances over the roofs of houses, and hayricks and very high walls, one fourteen feet, without displacing the snow on either side or altering the distance between the feet and passing on as if the wall had not been any impediment. The gardens with high fences or walls and gates locked were equally visited as those open and unprotected. Some people have drawn parallels with this visiting of houses and religious events where God passes from house to house. We might also think in terms of many of the traditional calendar customs recorded, where processions or totemic characters make house calls. The writer of the letter to the Illustrated London News continued by wondering what might have been the cause of the mysterious tracks. The letter says... Birds could not have left these marks, as no bird's feet leaves the impression of a hoof, or, even were there a bird capable of doing so, could it proceed in the direct manner above stated. Nor would birds, even had they donkey's feet, confine themselves to one direct line, but hop here and there. But the nature of the mark at once sets aside its being the track of a bird. The writer of the above has passed a five-months winter in the backwoods of Canada and has much experience in tracking wild animals and birds upon the snow and can safely say he has never seen a more clearly defined track or one that appeared to be less altered by the atmosphere than the one in question. 
this particular correspondent didn't seem particularly willing to ascribe the tracks to the devil or some other supernatural visitor. And over the years, there have been many other theories put forward to try and explain what might have caused the tracks to appear. Some of these are possibly easier to accept than others. One explanation put forward by the author Geoffrey Household is that an experimental balloon which had been released from the dockyards in Devonport on the south coast was responsible. According to this theory, shackles on trailing mooring ropes would have left the imprints as they hit the ground. Household cites a source for this, a Major Carter, who says that his grandfather worked at Devonport Dockyard at the time of the incident. Carter apparently claimed that the escape of the balloon had been hushed up because it had damaged a number of properties as it traversed the county. Ignoring the fact that this theory conjures up ideas paralleling the Roswell case, there are a number of potential problems with this idea. How could the balloon's ropes have put down a track which was described as being relatively uniform? How does this account for the prints running along at ground level, and then over houses and walls, and then back to ground level again? And how did the balloon manage to travel such a long distance at low level, without becoming tangled in something. A number of different explanations suggest that different animals may have been responsible for the tracks. In July of 1855, Professor Owen said that a badger was the likely cause, or, more precisely, a number of badgers. Historian Mike Dash, who has compiled a long study on this case, thinks that a percentage of the prints may have been caused by rodents, such as wood mice, when a mouse hops, the resulting print resembles a cloven animal because of the way that the legs move. This theory does also date back to the time of the event in 1855. Mike Dash states that it is probable that there were a number of different explanations for different sets of prints, and that this accounts for only some of them. A less likely explanation offered at the time was that the prints were caused by kangaroos. In 1855, Reverend G. M. Musgrave wrote a letter to the Illustrated London News in which he stated that a couple of kangaroos had escaped from a nearby menagerie. Nobody at the time actually thought to check and see whether or not this was the case, nor did they consider how the kangaroos would have crossed the river which lay in their path. In fact, Reverend Musgrave later stated that he made this story up in order to try and stop his parishioners from worrying about the devil having been responsible. In another letter, he wrote, I found a very apt opportunity to mention the name of kangaroos, in allusion to the report then current. I certainly did not pin my faith to that version of the mystery, but the state of the public mind of the villagers, dreading to go out after sunset, under the conviction that this was the devil's work, rendered it very desirable that a turn should be given to such a degraded and vitiated notion, and I was thankful that a kangaroo served to disperse ideas so derogatory. Other animals that have been put forward as responsible include otters, frogs, rats, and a great bustard, a type of bird. The passage of time is such that we can be certain about very little to do with the Great Devon mystery. 
primary documentation is so scant that the incident truly is now a piece of folklore. Was the whole incident an elaborate hoax undertaken by a group of people? Were some tracks hoaxed and others left by animals? Or were the tracks animals and were they misinterpreted? We have no way of knowing and will never even know whether the distance that the tracks were said to cover is exaggerated. Stories relating to the mystery have evidently not died out completely. One person, commenting in 2017 on an article about the case, noted that her family lived in a particular farm in the area at the time, and states that the footprints went on the first floor window sill and then onto the rooftop. Unfortunately, the comment is scant and offers no source for this information, but it does end with the intriguing note that the house had many ghostly visitors. As unusual as this event seems, it wasn't in fact the first time that such a trail of footprints had mysteriously appeared in this way. At the time of the Devon case, a correspondent from Heidelberg wrote to the Illustrated London News that Upon the authority of a Polish doctor in medicine, that on the Piaskora Gora, Sandhill, a small elevation on the border of Galicia, but in Congress Poland, such marks are to be seen in the snow every year, and sometimes in the sand of this hill, and are attributed by the inhabitants to supernatural influences. Fifteen years earlier, on the 14th of March 1840, the Times newspaper carried a report detailing a similar but smaller scale track of footprints from Scotland. The article read, Among the high mountains of that elevated district where Glenorchy, Glenlyon and Glenochy are contiguous, there have been met with several times during this and also the former winter upon the snow, the tracks of an animal seemingly unknown at present in Scotland. The print of the foot in every respect is an exact resemblance of that of a foal of considerable size, with this small difference perhaps, that the sole seems a little longer or not so round, but as no one has had the good fortune as yet to have obtained a glimpse of the creature, nothing more can be said of its shape or dimensions. Only it has been remarked, from the depth to which the feet sunk in the snow, that it must be a beast of considerable size. It has been observed also that its walk is not like that of the generality of quadrupeds, but that it is more like the bounding or limping of a hare when not scared or pursued. It is not in one locality only that its tracks have been met with, but through a range of at least twelve miles. Less well-known cases have been recorded over the years from a variety of locations around the world. Just after the previous Scottish example, in May of 1840, another anomalous set of prints was recorded on the Kerguelen Islands. Sitting in the southern Indian Ocean, these frozen islands are one of the most isolated places on the planet. The closest civilization can be found on Madagascar, which is still a little over 2,000 miles away. It is for this reason that the Kerguelen Islands have also been called the Desolation Islands. They have little plant life and resident animals are insects, seals and seabirds, as well as some rabbits, sheep and cats, 
which have been left by passing ships and have set up home there. These latter domesticated animals were not present, however, in May 1840, when Captain Sir James Ross visited with an expedition which was working nearby. A detachment led by Lieutenant Bird was searching one of the islands for life when they discovered a line of horseshoe-shaped tracks approximately three inches long and two and a half inches wide in the snow. The island had no land animals living on it at this time, and the expedition had no horses. So, what had left the prince? There was some speculation that they were made by a horse which came from a shipwreck or was cast away, but no evidence was found to substantiate this. A smaller set of hoof prints, measuring two and a half inches long and one and a half inches wide, was found on January the 10th, 1945, in Belgium. They were left in the snow on a hill near Everberg at Chateau de Morveau. In the same manner of the Devon case, the prints were laid in a single line rather than side by side. The prints were between 12 and 15 inches apart and covered a distance of several miles. They crossed various terrain, including forests and a stream, and even passed over deep snowdrifts without showing any signs of the animal having sunk into the snow. One man who examined the prints, Eric Frank Russell, thought them very similar to the 1855 Devon example. Whilst some people believe that a goat was probably responsible for making the prints, as with the other cases, there is no definite solution. This phenomenon may seem like one of those consigned to history as nothing more than a whimsy. Until, that is, we find that it makes a return to Devon in the 21st century. On March the 5th, 2009, a single line track of cloven hoof prints appeared overnight in the freshly fallen snow in the backyard of 76-year-old Jill Wade of Woolsery. In this case, the prints measured around 5 inches long and were spaced between 11 and 17 inches apart. Happening this time in a more modern environment, the phenomenon was far easier to catalogue. The prints were photographed, and the story naturally appeared in many national newspapers. They were also filmed, and the footage is easy to find and view online. Investigators in this case suggest that the tracks may have been made by the hind legs of a rabbit or a hare. Vague reports emerged of another trail of footprints in Girvan in Scotland in 2013. Information about this particular instance is scant, and it is thought that these prints were a hoax, possibly for April Fool's Day. The phenomenon of the Devil's Footprints has, over a long period of time, become a fascinating piece of folklore, and yet only the 1855 case, known as the Great Devon Mystery, has become better known. It is surprising, considering the many similarities that the other cases have remained more obscure. There are, after all, no satisfactory explanations for any of the cases, and everyone loves a good mystery. It is unlikely that it will ever be clear what happened in these cases, or how much of the stories are accurate, and how much apocryphal. And sometimes, maybe it's better that way.
Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Folklore Podcast is written and presented by me, Mark Norman. To find out more about my research and writing, visit www.facebook.com slash marknormanfolklore or on Twitter with the handle at Mr underscore Mark underscore Norman. Research assistance is provided by Tracy Norman. Visit her website at www.tracynormanswitch.com to follow her historical research and projects. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to and tries to avoid annoying advertising or sponsorship messages, but it cannot sustain itself. We are grateful for the support of all of our patrons who, for as little as $1 a month, earn themselves great rewards whilst ensuring our future. For more details, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot support us in this way, please share the episodes on your social media and leave positive reviews. This really helps the audience for the podcast to grow. Visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more episode and guest information, to buy from the web store, or to sign up for free newsletters or get in touch. The Folklore Podcast theme music was written and performed by Gurdy Bird. Thanks for listening.